Welcome to Teamwork, A Better Way, the podcast filled with stories, experiences, and insights from leading high-performing team experts. Here are your hosts, Spencer Horn and Christian Napier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Teamwork, A Better Way. I am Christian Napier, joined by Spencer Horn. Spencer, how are you doing? I'm good. Again, with the with the uh, technology, I got it going on on the screen here. <laughs> Like what just happened? Oh, geez! I love live I, producing, I, don't you, Christian? I know I love it too. Uh, you amaze even yourself as well as me. Uh, I think it's fantastic. Uh, we have a fantastic guest. We have an amazing guest. I'm so excited for you to introduce her to everybody. Before we do, uh, we should note that this is the last time we're going to be doing this show from your premises as you are moving on to bigger and better things. Yeah, and new digs. We're uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, closing on our, our new new build, our house that we just built uh, on Friday. And so we, we're packing up. It's crazy because I'm as soon as I'm done, I'm tearing everything down and then we're driving to Vegas for, a, for some work I'm doing with the team down there. And then got to get back and close and move in like no time at all. So... Uh, yeah, I'm a little nostalgic, so but I'm excited too to jump on for our guest because she's amazing. Yes, she is. So why don't you go ahead and just tell her everybody just how amazing that she is? Yeah, so today we have Melissa Arskog with us and who's a global vice president at Bulletproof, which is a uh, is a global company. Game, Gaming Laboratories International is the company that that's uh, that's, that owns this Bulletproof company. Melissa is a global executive and a business leader at the forefront of the technology and cybersecurity industry. That's not an important industry in today's world at all, is it, Christian? I mean, uh, it is. Yeah, who needs security? Yeah. Uh-oh. So it is so, so, so important today. So she shapes strategy, leads teams, and partners with Fortune 500 companies and other enterprise clients to protect their organizations from risk and noncompliance. And you know what's really interesting? Those sound like very boring things. She is not boring at all. She makes them very, very exciting. And it's it's only boring when bad things don't happen. It's not boring. And you want boring in your business, don't you, Melissa? Yeah. And and so she does all that while improving operations and accelerating growth. She's done this for 15 plus years and she's taken the reins everywhere she goes to propel organizations to the next level in their team performance, in their business development performance. And she does that by all of her amazing business acumen and revenue optimization. And she's got this sharp mind of an engineer and she uncovers, and just because she's so meticulous, she undercovers and seizes on opportunities to help increase profitability, and not only in the U.S. but in global operations. And she's established a, a you know, distinguishing career with GLI, and she's been a key member of their executive team. And throughout her tenure, she's established teams and developed new markets, and she influences the, the P&L and ultimately positioning GLI as the number one provider of testing, certification, cybersecurity services to the global gaming and lottery space. And you don't do that, Christian, without turning a few heads. And and sometimes, you know, that people at the top are yes, but there's also, when you have as much success as Melissa, sometimes you see a, a few arrows in the back. If you're not making waves in an industry, nobody pays attention to you, but people pay attention to Melissa. 
And after achieving this, uh, gosh, she, she's just done the same thing for clients worldwide. I mean, I could go on and on and on, but she's led teams, Christian, over 550 employees and contractors. She was part of a, the project to develop the world's largest concrete bridge. And she's held major engineering uh, projects, like worked with them for the Pacific Mechanical Corporation. She's a curious, lifelong learner. That doesn't mean she's curious. She's just curious about learning. And she holds dual Bachelor of Science degrees in civil and, and environmental engineering with minors, including business and mathematics. And she's a Keras master negotiator, a C4 executive coach. And she actively pursues ongoing education and inspiration as a member of, of Chief Austin Technology Council and Austin Women in Technology and Toastmasters International. So hugely involved in the community. Wait, there's more. And in addition to her own personal and professional development, Melissa is committed to helping others thrive both inside and outside in the workplace, which is one of the reasons why she agreed to come on our podcast and Really, we have so many listeners that are going to be excited to, to hear what you have to say. And she actively mentors and empowers team members at GLI Bulletproof and is an executive leader and coach for Global Gaming Women. She founded Young Nonprofit Professionals Network, the YNPN, Austin, and is a current or past board member of many organizations, including Emerging Leaders in Gaming, uh, Ballet Austin. That is so cool. My wife loves the ballet. Uh, I love to go with her, Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired, the Society of Women Engineers, and the American Society of Civil Engineers. And she has a, a junior league volunteer in Austin, Las Vegas, and Reno for 15 years. And, and so she gets all these awards all the time. And I'm always commenting on, on social, you know, on LinkedIn because, you know, she's the 40 under 40. She's the, you know, honored as the emerging leader uh, expert and, and all these different. I can't even keep up with all the awards she wins. So welcome Melissa, we're so glad to have you. Thank you both for inviting me for your last podcast in your home. I think we better go out with a bang, right? Yeah, well, this is like 107th. We're not going to stop doing these, but just in, in this studio here. So, hey, Melissa, do you remember how we met? Yes. you. I, I believe you reached out to me on LinkedIn. Totally. And, this, and I think this was I during the pandemic, say, wasn't it? Yes. As a person that is in the relationship and business development space, you were persistent and you, <laughs> you continue to follow up with me. And every time you followed up with me, you had more information about me. And I, and I, I think that's wonderful. You had not just the same message that you would send with every person it was customized for me. And we've became dear friends since then. Well, I'm so glad that you didn't uh, slam the door on that. And I'm, you know, I, I, I had you part of a, a training that I did uh, that you you were gracious to attend, and and that's where you met my good friend Christian Napier. And now you know how wonderful an individual he is, right? From from that experience. Absolutely lucky to know you both. Uh, well, we're we're lucky to know we're you. We're lucky so, to know you. Our topic today is, you know, this leadership journey that you've been on and you have so much experience and it's, it's, it's both 15 years from my perspective is short, but for a lot of people, that's, you know, that's, that, that's, that's long and you've accomplished so much in such a short time. 
talk to us just a little bit about how it started. How did how did you even get involved in the cybersecurity industry? What led you to engineering? What led you to 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 this to these industries? That's a great question, and I know we have a sh- only a short period of time. I think you know you mentioned I talked about this when I received forty under forty. You know, I talked about leadership when I was a Girl Scout. Um, I think a lot of what happens to us is the opportunities we grasp, right? I didn't start out wanting to be in cybersecurity. I didn't start out wanting to be an engineer. I think I embraced things as they came to me. I actually started my career out by uh, in banking. I had babysit for a man that was high on um the chain at bank of america he asked me to come work there i started there very young and then i left banking and i went into engineering um, i was just really good at math and science i found it fascinating um, i liked the idea of you know building things and building communities uh safe communities for people whether it be homes or bridges or water treatment facilities Um, I always thought it would be neat to drive by and say, wow, I worked on that bridge or wow, I built that school. Um, And then as luck would have it, uh, I applied for a job. um, I like to say accidentally in the gaming space and um, was reached out by an amazing HR professional at Gaming Labs. And uh, we stayed in communication and I I'm like, I know nothing about the gaming industry, but I have a can-do attitude and I'm willing to learn. And I grew up in Nevada. And so um, I started, uh, November will be 12 years since I've been with um, Gaming Laboratories International. Um, And I, uh, GLI acquired Bulletproof in 2016. um, And my job was to build out cybersecurity solutions to the gaming industry, something I take very um, serious, very passionate about. Um, and so I think to answer your question, I embraced things as they came at me when people said, Hey, are you interested in banking? I, I, I thought at the time I was 15 and I'm like, well, yeah, I guess money. Yeah. I have a bank account. I'm, I'm going to buy a car soon and I'm going to need money to put gas in my car. So it'd be great to work at a bank. And I learned banking and I didn't at the time realize it, that really set the precedence for my future with money, managing money, uh, revenue, uh, building teams, engineering. It's all played a really important part in my life um, by having that banking experience young. I think the school systems now are not teaching kids about money, money management. um, And I learned a lot of that really, really young. One of the things well, I've I... got a question here, Spencer, uh, because I really appreciate you, Melissa, taking us on, on this very brief tour of, of the industries that you've belonged to and the, the openness to new things, trying out new things, which helped you move from one industry to another to another. And, and I'm curious if that also parallels your journey in leadership, because you don't necessarily start out running the company, right? You you start out in certain positions and then you have opportunities to advance and and assume more responsibility. So maybe you can take us on the journey of leadership as well, uh, showing us how you, you started out maybe on the ground floor and then you took advantage of opportunities to lead other people as they came along. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, I, well, I guess we'll just start in banking. So when I first started in banking, I was a teller and I was taking people's money, interacting with people forward facing. And um, at the time I had lived in Las Vegas and I had a fantastic mentor um, at that bank. Um, and then when I went to college in Reno, I did not have such a fantastic mentor um, at the bank. So I learned really quickly um, the difference between a good leader and a good mentor and a good boss and the difference between maybe somebody that is new to managing employees and hasn't um, really understand how to how to lead people effectively. Um, and that moved me into engineering and engineering. I was leading not only internal teams, but external teams. So building big construction projects, you have a lot of subcontractors. And if they don't understand what they need to be doing, clearly, um, you know, the painters are going to show up before the building's built and the building's not built. The painters can't do their job. So it's a lot of um, communicating and explaining and leading, you know, who starts when and who stops here. And in gaming, uh, same kind of situation. You're leading not only the internal team to deliver the work, but you're leading um, your external customers who lean on you for um, advice and suggestions on how you can do things not only better for them as a company but also better for um, their customers as well and explaining the differences to them um, and really help set the pace for for clients you know melissa you talked about just the the challenges of of being a a new leader or a new manager and i see this a lot in in organizations where you know, especially in, in some of the trades and engineering and construction, they want to they want to develop people uh, through leadership. They, they want to give people opportunities. And this is also in, in all industries. And so who do we typically promote? The person best at the job, right? Well, that is a, a completely different skill set than managing people who do the job. And so what a lot of uh, leaders make the mistake as is they just think, well, I've got to I've just got to be the best at doing the job and set the example. No, you've got to make a transition into leading leading people. And and I I'm I'm setting this up because I want to ask a question. I see this a lot where managers fail at, at that transition. And I'm actually coaching a, a project manager in in Europe, and she would love to hear from your perspective. I'm sure because I've been coaching her on this issue where she has. A, a, a team of project managers and they're from all over the, 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 all over Europe, different countries. And so you got all kinds of different backgrounds and egos and all that sort of thing. And one of the men on the teams, like you need to be managing projects. So I know that you you know what you're talking about as a leader. And uh, I think that's, uh, first of all, that's, that, that's a uh, very egotistical and, and it's, that's more about him than about her. But I'd love to hear just your perspective on that. What would you say to her about helping her understand that she she needs to be managing people, which is taking that that takes all of your time, right? Yeah. Um, so the question is, what would I tell to her in that situation where she wants to do something different than what she's told to do? No, no. Yeah. So so one of her team members is saying, I want I want to I want you to manage projects in addition to being my manager, so I know you're a good project manager because why would I take advice from 
a, a woman who's, who's just managing me and not actually managing projects right now. She's, she's got, does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I see where you're going. So kind of two, two sides to that. Um, so I had a similar experience one time in my engineering career where, so I have an engineering degree, which one would gather that I can add numbers together um, proficiently. And I had somebody step in the room once and tell in front of a number of people what a complete idiot I was for not being able to add numbers correctly on a project. I was mortified. I was in my early 20s. I was young, very upset. Um, and I remember walking away and thinking to myself, there's something to take from this. I could either um, become, learn from this approach that this person managed me. He was my direct boss and he insulted me in front of an entire room. Um, and I could either take something from this and go talk to him and understand his perspective. So why he did it, what information he had. Um, so I walked to him after I pulled him aside and I said, um, I want to better understand your comments in front of the room. You made everybody believe that I couldn't add numbers together. And we both know with a double engineering degree that I can add one plus one is two. Um, so from his perspective, he had half data. He had half the information that he needed um, from his peers. And he was basing um, his comments on half information. Um, and equally, he didn't have education. So um, he was in, in, affected by me having an education, having half data. And so I approached him. I said, how would you like me to engage in this project? Would you like me to be passive? Would you like me to be active? And I got his perspective um, first as the manager. And then I came back and I said, this is the areas that I excel that I think I'd be best fit for. And I gave him a solution. And I think to her, you know, A, do you like what you're doing? Um, B, do you um, like the person you're working for? And then C, being able to have those conversations directly with somebody is really important because had I not approached him, um, a, he wasn't being very nice, but also he didn't have the full picture of information from other people. Um, so I would suggest to so the, the project manager, first sit down, do I like what I'm doing? Um, and then have the conversations um, with the right people internally. For me, I work in different capacities with some of our top clients as an individual contributor and as a manager of people that have clients. And I think um, being in both of those places is very beneficial for our company because I am plugged into what's going on in the day to day and I'm teaching people what's working and what's not working to effectively lead them. Um, I think uh, in my experience, people that sometimes move up the chain too high, they lose you know, perspective from the bottom, right? So if you don't have perspective in the day-to-day, -day, know what's working, what's not working, it's hard to effectively manage behind your desk without understanding the day-to-day.
So I really love your response to the the situation. In this case, in your case, this was your superior. In her case, it's actually her direct report. But in both cases, it's 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 a, it's a man with an ego, and and somewhat threatened by your competency. And she is extremely competent, loves what she does, and you. I, I love the fact that instead of going sideways, which you could have done, and and this could have had a negative impact, you addressed it head on. And for some people, that is really quite scary. But what you did is instead of just saying, hey, I didn't like that, it's like, hey, help me understand. And that that opened the door to understanding and dialogue and learning, but you went in with this. So just like your, I read in your profile, you're curious, right? And, and so if you lead with these stressful situations with curiosity, that can really create some incredible outcomes, which is exactly what you experienced from this manager that was threatened by your uh, brilliance and just wanted to take you down a notch, which happens, unfortunately. And I would tell you, I would tell her not to be affected by what other people think about you. I've had lots of naysayers or people didn't like me because I'm a blonde or I'm young or I'm direct. And I would say like, all of that is not you, right? It's not you, it's them and their, their issues. And, but as, a manager of the people you need to find a way like when i lead teams of people i meet my people where they are and i understand them and what they're good at and what they're not good at and and i care about them as employees to drive revenue for the company and as people and i think there's two pieces and it's really rare that a leader can separate the true because my job is to drive revenue to the company but my also my job is also to retain and keep people that are happy in their jobs, happy employees make more productive employees. And if they hate coming to work, it's likely that they're not doing a good job. And it's likely that you're paying them to look for another job. Oh, I, I love that. I'm sorry, Krishna. I just have one more comment. And one of the things that you, you said is instead of being in your ivory tower, get out and, and, and really know what, you know, the pulse of the team is and, what happens to a lot of executives, there's when they get promoted to CEO or president, it's called the CEO disease. And they become so removed from everything that's going on that they're making decisions in vacuums. And uh, the research, and this is, you know, this, if you want to find the source for this, it's, uh, it's called Primal Leadership by uh, R- uh, Richard Boyatzis, Annie McKee, and Daniel Goldman. And one of the things that they said is even for a woman or a minority, those, those, um, dynamics are increased because you become more and more isolated. People are afraid to actually come to you and give you feedback. So it's so important as you get that role, as you as you grow within an organization, to stay grounded with those people at, at the front line and your customers. And I, I just really think that that's an important point of emphasis. And Sorry, ask for Christian. feedback. Ask huh? for feedback. Ask for feedback. I, my one-year-old son, I ask for feedback. I ask my parents for feedback. I ask my friends. I ask, you know. You asked us for feedback before we even went live today. I did, right? (laughs) I did. You're right. I did ask you for feedback. And, you know, I think that's, you know, part of learning. We're all on this leadership journey together. We're all learning together. We're, We're a community of people having real life experiences day to day. And, and, you know, you I'm big on helping and supporting people. I've, I've had people reach out to me. I, like you, I had no idea who you are. I've had all kinds of people contact me from all walks of life or people that, 
because I went to a university, studied engineering, they reached out and said, hey, can you talk to my kid? And I'm like, sure, I'll talk to your kid. I don't even know you, but I'm happy to. And I think like all of that makes you a better person and it makes me a better employee for my company and it makes me a better mom and a better wife and all these things better for everyone. And Christian, my, my son's best friend is uh, studying cybersecurity at Brigham Young University. So I asked Melissa if I could introduce her so because he's looking for internships and she, she helped out there too so of yeah. course she did paying it forward i think you know is is it's closed mind closed-minded to just you know not help people across the street or where they are and um it pays great dividends to learn and take feedback from people uh, and you know, I didn't, I didn't realize so recently when I talk, I, I use my hands and my eyeballs are all over the place and people are like, Melissa, you look like you're rolling your eyes. And I'm like, do I, I didn't even realize I just talk with animated with my hands. <laughs> so I'm, I'm currently practicing not rolling my eyes or moving my hands. <laughs> All right, Melissa, I want to come back to something you said earlier. Well, two two things. Number one, you said, well, I have two engineering degrees. Of course, I can add one plus one equals two. I have an accounting degree. And for me, one plus one is whatever you want it to be, right? So uh, that's the answer to that. But aside from that, uh, you mentioned that you had some experiences with, you, you had a great mentor uh, when you were at the bank and then when you were in Reno maybe a boss that wasn't so good. And so I'm curious, as you've gone through this journey, uh, uh, life's journey and leadership journey, uh, you've had good managers and bosses, you've had bad managers and bosses, and what separates the two? You know, what, what, uh, you know, what do good bosses do and what do bad managers do that we should not be doing? Right, I agree. So let's talk about bad first. Um, I think, until you have a boss that micromanages, you can't understand what that means. So micromanager managers stand over their employees, check every detail. They, oh, you're in it 802, not eight. Um, I think micromanagement is a sure way to um, lose employees. Um, I think ignoring your employees' development, like where they want to go, right? So they want to learn this. Um, I think playing favorites. Uh, I've been part of a company where it was very abundantly clear who the favorite child was and the rest of us were just not up to snuff. I think making that clear to your, if you're leading more than one person, I think playing favorites is a bad idea. Um, and then one that I've also um, been a part of is taking credit for other people's work and bosses that have their people do all the work and they take the credit um sure quick way to to lose employees or not have them trust you um lack of empathy i think life happens stuff happens people have family stuff kids stuff their cars break down um you know being empathetic to things that people have to handle their son's baseball game or those kind of things are key um, setting unrealistic goals that people don't believe in. I always say like, um, if you're trying to lose weight and you're at 300 pounds, you don't see yourself as a hundred pounds, right? You need to set realistic bite chise chunks, 
um, to get you to that goal, setting something that the employee believes in and something that the business wants. So it, we can mutually move the needle on whatever the goal is. Um, failure to recognize employees' achievements, whether it's personally, professionally, um, if employees are help, helping drive something as small as whatever, give them credit and let them shine. Um, let's see, what other, there's one other one I wanted to mention, um, feedback. Um, as a manager, you should ask your employees what they think. What could we be doing better? How can we all drive whatever we're driving together? I think every person I've ever managed, and I've been managing people for over 20 years, I always ask for feedback. What could I be doing better as your boss? And what do you think we should be, be doing better as a team? So the good managers get their team's feedback and make suggestions based on that to the overarching leadership. Um, so that leads me to what good managers do um, is their employees trust them. They trust that they have their back, that they're going to help them. They're going to um, guide them. They're going to care about them. Um, as humans and employees, um, I always ask my team, is there something you guys want to learn? Um, is there something that we're not doing as an as a company for you that you'd like me to work on? And then I, I help them get there. Um, and I bring it up to leadership if it's something that I can't do. And I take it up the food chain. Um, I think good managers provide opportunities for employee. Uh, employees. So whether they're starting in a very junior role and they aspire to be, you know, in another role, helping them get there um, and having their back, uh, clearly communicating what they need to be doing in their day to day. So if employees don't know what they need to be doing, then they can't do it. So having open dialogue of expectations of what we're driving as a team, whether you're a delivery team or a sales team, um, with my team, they know what we're all driving as a unit. Everybody knows, everybody's on board. And then we know what we're driving corporately. And so it's very clear um, as a team and we're one team working together to accomplish our goals. Um, I think nowadays it's harder to manage teams that remotely, but I think there's also value to managing remote teams as well. Um, if you're a good leader and able to, you know, help your teams juggle work, work life balance out of their home. Um, let's see, did I, I think I hit everything challenges. <laughs> the, the, those, so, those are great. Hopefully people are taking a ton of notes because, you know, one of the things that you said is that kind of like Mater, you know, from, from cars, it's like, we need to tell, you know, leaders what to not to do right and and so you had a a big list it, it it brings to my mind melissa a question just out of curiosity in all your years of building teams because even since i've talked to you you've had the opportunity to to build a team and then move on to another and, and, and another a because you're so good at it and uh b because maybe somebody else wants to come in and, and, and take that that team <laughs> that you've built is it just the the, I, I'm just, I don't know how to word this the right way. So, so here you are contrasting good leaders and bad leader attributes. What is the impact of a good leader on, 
uh, on just how long it takes to create a, a functioning team versus a bad leader and how fast it takes to destroy a team. Any perspective yeah. on that? Destroys morale, right? Um, I've gone which through Which is faster, which is, I mean, you know. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I I think the other, th the other side of it is the emotional intelligence side. We always, you know, understanding people's emotions um, as well as the team's emotions and how everybody works together and um, adaptability. I think in the world we live in today, so much is changing so fast. You know, I just read this morning that they're going to reinstall, you know, COVID boosters. We have all lived this COVID craziness and um, things are constantly changing. Adaptability, businesses are changing. You know, we're, we're an evolving, um, you, you know, country and we're changing so rapidly. I think leaders that can evolve with the business and their people are going to be more successful and able to make decisions quickly. I think a lot of times pondering things, let's think about it, let's discuss it, let's put it in a vacuum, get 50 people's decisions, and then let's make, let's go. I think we spent, I think the good teams that can make a decision, move forward. If it's not working, make another decision. Um, it's the same way with your friendships. Try some friendships on. If they're not working, there's lots of people out there to make new friends with. I tell my kids this. I said, okay, if you don't like this girl and she's getting you in trouble in school, you need to make new friends. Same thing with these decisions uh, business-wise. If just make a decision and then pivot if you need to and then make another decision um, and then lead by example. I, I, I talked a little bit about micromanagement. If you're leading people and you want your people to be there from eight to five and you're there from, you know, 7.55 to 4.55, you're not leading by example. So don't be a hypocrite and don't, you know, you know, tell your people that they need to be there from eight to five and you're leading. You should be doing more if you're leading people. Um, sometimes I have to take my home, my, my work home on the weekends and I don't mind doing it because I needed to sit with my employees longer to teach them something or to work through something. Um, but I'm there for them and I have their back when they need it. Um, I think the other thing is cultural awareness, diversity. Um, people are coming from different cultures, different backgrounds. Um, they do dinner early, later. Um, they have different holidays being keen on that and understanding the sensitivities between cultural differences is key. Um, and then just feedback, growth, feedback, growth, feedback, growth, constant feedback and growth, um, and really driving towards a vision is key. If, if you have a bunch of people doing work, but they don't understand why they're doing it, um, it's hard to move and grow as a company. Okay, so Melissa, uh, th this is all fantastic. As I look at the laundry list of things that you have outlined for good managers and band managers, it seems to me that uh, at a fundamental level, uh, what you know, one thing that keeps uh, a manager from being effective is a lack of trust. Uh, so you know, the micromanagement comes from a lack of trust. Uh, and ultimately, all of that comes down to fear, right? So, uh, you know, if I'm a manager and I find myself, you know, self-assessing here, uh, 
what can I do to overcome the fears that are deep inside of me that might be driving this outward antagonistic behavior that is causing problems in my team? You know, how do, how do I recognize, you know, become aware of what's going on within me and, and then overcome that so that I can become the effective manager that I want to be? See what I told you, Melissa? There it is. Sage, sage all around. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny that you say that. So I would say, I'll give you, I'll take it personally. I'll, I'll be vulnerable here. I have, a, a, I have children, right? When I was managing people without children, I am a, I was a very different boss. I had no perspective of what it was like to shuffle kids to and from school, you know, sick kids. Um, so I didn't understand it as a boss, right? And I think now as a boss, I'm a better boss to for the company and a leader for the company because I'm a mom and because I, and because my people have children. I understand what they're up against and I I have had to take a step back and learn that myself. So I had to be introspective if that's even a word. Um it is like now. I had to go with it. <laughs> I had I had to go within and learn I learned how to be that and you know I said earlier I had people insult me I was I was devastated when you know I was it really hurt me it upset me and I ultimately left that company and I going back to my 20 year old self um I think I would say to Melissa um you know she was you know wanting to be accepted into the group she was insecure because she's young, right? She doesn't know what she doesn't know. So she's learning. Um, and she wasn't confident, right? She's, you know, it takes time to get into your career to understand what you're good at, what you're not at, not good at. Um, and so I, I constantly self-assess. How am I portraying? How am I communicating with my team? Like two of my team members, that they can they understand when i have 80 things on my mind and i come to them and they say yep this is what you need i got it and i'm like i said like three words and they got it but it's because they understand when i'm not when i don't have 50 things going on in my brain they understand how i communicate but and i, I understand i'm going to say it's more than that uh melissa i think it's also because you have developed a relationship with trust that they're they're not afraid it's in coaching parlance, it's called the trial balloon, right? Because I'm like, hey, I think I know what you want and need. And they know you a lot because you have yep. developed this 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 relationship of trust with them. And so even if they're wrong, they're they feel safe jumping in, hey, I think I know what you need. But that's that's because you have set up that that environment where they're comfortable doing that, I believe. Yeah. And I think it takes time to build that, right? I have a new team right now, a global team. They're all new. I have new employees. Um, and I, you know, I, I just had a call this morning about it. I said, you have to make some mistakes to learn. I'm going to support all those mistakes, bring them back and let's talk through them. What could you have done better? What could we have done better? And I think part of anything you're learning, whether you're picking up a new hobby or you're managing people is learning from your mistakes. If you're not learning from your mistakes, so your previous question, uh, if you're not learning from your mistakes, you're continue to make the mistakes. So you need to step back and say, okay, how does this 
affect not only my professional life, my personal life. How am I showing up to my my kids, my spouse, my friends? Because it's all intertwined, right? It's all connected. Truly. I mean, Clayton Christensen said that management, he called it management. We're, we're talking leadership. They are There is a connection there. But he said management is the most noble profession because you have the you have the ability to either make your people's lives wonderful and want them to, they want to come to work every day, exactly what you said earlier, or dread coming to work every day. You have that power. That's yes. great power. And so, that, so that's why he says, this is one of the greatest professions ever. Um, Christian, I know you got something to say, but I got, I got to interject. We have a comment from our good friend, uh, Michelle McCullough, who is uh, fantastic. She's a, uh, she is a culture an engagement specialist that goes in with companies and, and just a wonderful human being. And, and, uh, and I'm so grateful that she's listening. The first comment she said a couple minutes ago was you can't listen to the naysayers. Right. And so that was in response to some of the people criticizing you. And then here's a comment that she said, I want to share. I truly believe this quote, happy, uh, employees are productive employees, close quote, I wrote a book called The Happy IST, The Happiest, to support this very purpose. I love hearing about executives who champion this cause internally. And so um, thanks for, for chiming in, Michelle. And, and if you're listening and you have questions for, for Melissa, we'd love that. Just type it in, whatever. I'm, I'm doing my best to monitor. If you see me look in different places, I'm, we're, we're, on, we're, we're on X and we're on Facebook on two places, on LinkedIn two places, and then on YouTube, and I'm trying to monitor it all. But uh, we thank you for your thumbs up. We've got lots of thumbs ups here and, and more comments, please, if you got them. Well, I think that's, I think that's fantastic. And I had a question and it left my brain when I'm I was- I'm sorry, Christian, that's my Michelle. fault. No. That's not, no, it's, it's, it has nothing to do with that. And, uh, I'm so glad that Michelle, uh, Michelle made her comment. So I have, I, I have remember, a, I can't remember about that. I have another comment. Was. I will try very hard to remember what my question was, uh, Spencer. Okay. I got another I one. That I should have, I should have been like writing it down while you were saying all that, but I allowed myself to get distracted. So I apologize. Okay. I got another one. This is from, I hope I say this right. Uh, Same Maki who is a project management specialist uh, uh, and runs a, a PMO. I met a leader who was saying that make a decision, even if you're not confident, it is 100% right. If the decision 100%. is wrong, we will learn. If right, that will be awesome and we will get ahead. What yeah, I agree. I agree. I think, and the, you know, just like one step back, I think, the happiness piece. If your employees are happy, they're empowered. They're empowered to do things, to take it upon themselves to do their jobs. And within guidelines, though, I mean, and you gave those guidelines, guidelines. Which is with the vision that you've created. In other words, you got guardrails and you can do anything you want within those two guardrails. Yep, guardrails. So I always say, this is so cheesy. I always tell my team, it's my job to keep the yellow brick road sweeps. It's your job to stay on the yellow brick road. And the yellow brick road is whatever the business tells us that yellow brick road is. I love that. I love that. Well, I remember I, my question. I remember my question. Okay. okay. Uh, so the question goes back to something you said earlier, 
uh, Melissa, which was, uh, you know, things have changed over time. The, the, the workplace is different than it was uh, 15 or 20 years ago when, when you got started. And uh, now, you know, with the pandemic and everything, there's all this remote hybrid on site, and this is introducing its own set of, of challenges. And so, you know, we see things on the news. We saw Zoom, uh, uh, <laughs> ironically, right, saying, hey, we're going to recall a workforce back to the office and uh, do hybrid. And, and uh, so I'm curious your take on this, um, the trends that you're seeing in this workplace now <clears throat> and how you have taken your leadership I don't know if style is the right word, philosophy, vision, approach, to tailor it to this new evolving paradigm. Yeah, I love it. Um, I'll talk personally. So I was an eight to five employee. I showed up to an office eight, and five, eight to five. I took my hour lunch. And then when I became a remote employee, the company got a lot more hours of my time because I wasn't commuting to work. I had more flexibility in my day to day. Um, so the, the, it was a net gain for the company for me to be in a home versus me to drive to an office, show up to a desk. Um, and so I think it just depends on the company, right? So if you're delivering work and you're a, you know, you're an engineer that has to be in a building, engineering something, working with a team, it's very different than, you know, HR teams, develop marketing teams, sales teams, um, they should be out with the people, right? So it depends on your role. So just keeping it generally speaking, um, I think if you're going to have remote employees, performance management is key. Um, here are our tasks. Here is the job that we need to do. If your employee is not doing that job, it's your job as a manager to talk to the employee. What's going on? Can I help you? Are you overloaded? You know, just understanding their perspective of what's going on and then retuning things based on what they say and managing their time too, right? So if they have to take their kids to work at seven, let them take their kids to work at seven. Can you be on at 7.30. If, if a, a task comes up that you need them at seven, ask them, are you able to have, you know, somebody else take your kid in that day? If, if not say, Hey, we can, we can move on and handle what we need to handle. But I think it's performance management, time management, making sure they have the right tools to do their job remotely. Um, and getting all in, like when I was leading through a pandemic, all of my employees were remote. I did a daily check-in with them. How are you doing work-wise? How are you doing emotionally? How's your family doing? So it's not just the job thing, it's the people thing. Um, so if people, managers are just gonna delegate, delegate, delegate and not understand them, they're gonna struggle having remote employees. Um, cause they don't know what's going on at their home. Um, do they have kids? Like I've been on many zoom calls where I had people's kids were sitting on their laps. Um, and, and I, we just went forward with the meetings and, you know, they said, Hey, my wife's sick or, Hey, this is going on. I'm like, no biggie. Let's reschedule. Or you tell me where you are right now. And, um, again, it goes back to community and communication, building communities of people and building communication, open change of communication. Um, 
And then if employees are clearly not engaging and they're not doing what they need to do, then you need to manage it, right? Put people on performance plans. Um, performance plans are the best way to either manage employees to do a better job or manage them out, right? Um, sometimes um, it, it's just the job's not the right fit or the manager's not the right fit. I've taken employees that um, people said they needed to be fired and turned them into fantastic employees. And what I had learned through that process that sometimes it's not the employee, it's the person managing them. And that is again, going back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, self-assessing, like, how are you managing people? Um, how do you, how do you manage them and how do you do a better job managing them? Melissa, you know, you, you just hit on something that I, in my experience, 31 years in the corporate world, most leaders and managers struggle with, and that is the, the performance improvement plan, basically coaching people to solve their own problems. Usually it's a command and control saying, here's your problem and here's what you need to do. And it's, that's not, that's not coaching. That's not developing. It's taking away that ownership and, but, but doing it in a way that allows the employee to fix their own problem and put that on them and help them to do that and believe that they can do that is extremely powerful and, and doing it the right way can turn an employee that somebody else thinks that, Hey, we need to get rid of them. That's not coaching either. I mean, that's like the, the, the quintessential poor management play is, well, they just, they just can't make it here and instead get somebody to, I mean, people, do they join your company to suck, to do a bad job? They come with all these aspirations and excitement and enthusiasm. And most of the time we create their disengagement by how we lead and manage them. And so you're talking about, be very clear about performance management. And then when there's a problem, work them through that. And doing that is, is, uh, is a skill. It's an art that, that most of us don't study. And if you're a student like you are, uh, I think that's great. I, I wanted to say one thing. Sorry, go ahead. What were you going to say to that? No, no, I was going to make, I remembered one of the questions from the, I think she was a PMO, but I think like telling your employees, like this is uncomfortable for me too. Like yes. I'm in an uncomfortable, I've had those dialogues. Hey, this is uncomfortable for me. There's been X, Y, Z complaints. How do you, how are we going to address it as a team? I want to do this hand in hand, side by side. Do you need more training? Are you, is it a technology problem? Talk to me, help me. And I think when you're human, like you, you come at a human level, an equal, equal level, not a hierarchical, you know, level. And you just say, Hey, what's going on? And they'll tell you. And if people don't tell you, then you have a bigger problem, right? Then it's you, you need to look at yourself. If they can't tell you that, you know, they're uncomfortable or they don't like turning their camera on or, or whatever the situation is. You need to understand why maybe well, they're so not they're confident. A, a lot of people are uncomfortable with that level of vulnerability that you bring, especially new managers. Cause they're like, you know, they're feeling like they have to know. And you're right. just saying I'm uncomfortable. I don't know. Uh, is, is, is that showing weakness that your team will take advantage of? Some people may be thinking, 
It depends. You know, I just wrote an, a LinkedIn article about this. I had um, an internal employee ask me about when to be vulnerable. I would tell you in my 20s, I was never vulnerable, right. ever, never, ever, right? You're learning, you're growing. The older you get and the more experience you get, you're able to take some of those different vulnerabilities, right? That you weren't like, if you're starting out in your career and you're going to your boss saying, Hey, I want to get married. I want to have three kids. I want to like travel the world. Like, what do you think they're going to do? Right? Like, but if you, you know, are all in, you give it your all. Like I think employee employers want to keep them. It's more costly for employers to hire, train, onboard employees than it is to just keep the ones they have. Right. Um, and so I think, yes, there's a time to be vulnerable Spencer, and there's a time to not be vulnerable. Um, but I think you're honest with your boss. Um, then they're going to be honest with you and you're going to have that relationship. And if you're not, and you're not doing your job, it's unlikely that your boss is going to have your back. Yeah. Great, great, great perspective. I, I think this is fantastic. We could go on for hours, but, uh, we're running up against it here. Uh, just one quick comment for me. And then I, you know, Spencer, if you've got any quick, uh, final comments and then Melissa, you, uh, this may seem insignificant, but when you talk about, hey, we're on remote and we're Zoom meetings and you might have kids screaming in the background or your dog's barking or or whatever, I actually think that's important because what you're doing is you're giving your people permission to be authentic, right? You, you allow them to be their true selves. They don't have to hide behind virtual backgrounds. They don't have to, you know, shut everything and make sure that everything looks absolutely perfect because that's not what you're expecting. You just want them Got to be there. bare walls behind me here. Yeah, you just want them to be there and to be yeah. present, and I think that's, that's really I great. See their faces. I want to, I want to see their faces, not because I'm like, oh, where are they located? Where are they doing? It's like I want to have that community, the connection. You can't have a connection with your picture on Teams. You can't have conversations. You know, I pulled my back out last Monday, and I, if you want to talk to me earlier part of last week, I was almost in tears, and I told the team, I'm like, hey. I pulled my back out. I know like I might be acting all weird. And I just told them and they're like, oh my gosh. And every one of my employees, almost all of them have reached out to me independently and said, how's your back? Again, I was vulnerable with them. And I told them, this is my situation. And last week I was driving um, all around Arizona, seeing clients and I had a bad back. And one of my clients are like, she said to me, she's like, you know what I love about you? You're so committed to what you're doing. Even with your back, you're pulling through, you're committed, you love your job, you love your people, you love us. And that's why we love you. And I think it's the same thing with leadership and management. When you're all in at a company and you're all in with your employees, your company and your employees are going to be all in. And if you have the attitude, when they give, I'll give, you're, you're going to be bankrupt all the time. That is, I wish I had another bumper for that. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, Sam said a, had a comment that we didn't respond to. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to respond to that. And that is the decisions. Just make a decision. And General Patton, I, I love this quote about General Patton. He said, 
a good plan violently executed today is better than a perfect plan next week. So I live, that's one of my top 10 quotes I live by. I love that you just said that quote. Yeah, take um, action. Even if you make a mistake, you can always change directions, but some people have to, you know, they, they obsess over getting it perfect and take action. You're going to make mistakes, but it's hard for, you know, you and I have done behavioral profiles. I've talked to you about yep. them, but for some people, that's really a challenge. Uh, uh, Christian, I mean, you, you can probably relate, right? I mean, because they they, okay. they want to get it right. But for those of us that are either high extroverts or high dominance, it's like, oh, yeah, that's easy. And it's not. And so I love the fact that you focused on what not to do, because I believe that, sir, our, our, our strengths are, are wonderful and they, you know, we, we get energy from them. But, but it's the it's the weaknesses. It's the things that that we should not do that that create the most damage hurt our reputation, hurt the teams. And that's where we can create the, the, the greatest marginal uh, gains in, in team engagement is by eliminating those not tos. And it, that takes honesty, that takes uh, feedback, that takes willingness to be introspective. And, um, you know, and, and so, so one that's- One point something. on that, um, you know, one thing I've really kind of lived by, you know, personal, couple personal, creeds I've lived by. And, and one of which is do the thing you fear the most. I am an engineer introvert by nature. And I have constantly pushed myself to talk in front of people. Um, and, but that's part of the times why I'm moving. I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm, you know, I have a thousand things going on. I want to say the right thing. And you I and think Eleanor do, Roosevelt. The things, <laughs> do the things you that are the hardest for you to do. Like whether you're afraid of heights or you're afraid to, you know, maybe you're single and you're a guy and you're looking to find a partner, go talk to a girl. What's she going to say? No. Or yes. You never know. Right. And, um, be persistent on LinkedIn. Yeah. Be persistent and continually to learn and improve in all aspects of your life all across the board. It'll pay dividends. Wow. Well, this has been a fantastic hour. It's gone by so quickly for me, Melissa, and I'm sure it has for our listeners and viewers as well. I appreciate you carving time out of your super busy schedule with the 500 million things that you're doing at any given moment uh, to come and have a conversation with us. And if our listeners, our viewers, if they want to connect with you, become a part of your community, learn more about what you do, how you and your organization uh, could potentially help them. Uh, what's the best way for them to reach out and contact you? LinkedIn. I think that's the way of the world these days. LinkedIn, LinkedIn, LinkedIn. Um, contact me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to help. Um, you know, I'm being vulnerable now and doing more writing. Follow my writing online. I'm just literally people are picking subjects and I'm writing about it. Um, and if I could help you or I can help you with what we do or what I do, I'm happy to. Um, I think finding the right circle of friends and influence will pay also dividends on your life. Um, if you can connect with people who have experiences to support you in your growth. Melissa, tell us about your podcast. Tell our listeners about your podcast. Uh, yes. I, again, following my own advice, do the things I fear the most, which is what exactly I'm doing with you guys talking on a podcast or talking in front of a room. Um, I was, have been approached by a number of people to start a podcast in my, like my hobby. I do it on the weekends and, 
you know, at the end of my days and I'm doing a podcast, it's 100% pay it forward. It's all about experts in their field, sharing that information with others and paying it forward. So I'm not selling anything. It's simply bringing on experts that know stuff about things and sharing it with the world. That's awesome. That is amazing. And I'm uh, really looking forward to to listening to those episodes as they come out. Uh, and Spencer, uh, you know, speaking about community and connection uh, and longstanding friendships, you and I have been friends for, gosh, going on almost 20 years now. Uh, and uh, you're one of the most knowledgeable and uh, helpful uh, people that I know and generous people that I know. So if people want to reach out and connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Thank you, Christian. Just LinkedIn at Spencer Horn at Altium Leadership and and uh, love to love to talk to you. I love the comments and chat. So Christian, you you know, you do such a great job of hosting us here and uh, you create so much value. You've got organizations I know uh, just clamoring to, to sign you. And, and I know that they the International Olympic Committee has and, and others as well. How do how do people find you? Because they need to find you, right, Melissa? Uh, I guess it's all the LinkedIn day, right? Uh, it is. <laughs> so it's just, the LinkedIn just look day. for me, uh, you know, Christian Apier on LinkedIn, and I'm happy to and delighted and honored to connect with uh, any and all who who approach me. So thank you very much, and thank you, listeners. Please like and subscribe to our podcast, and we'll catch you again soon. Mm-hmm.